Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Would you like to get more done? Product managers are pulled in many different directions, and if you're like others, you struggle to get the most important things done, let alone everything you're asked to do. Our guest knows a lot about this. He was an entrepreneur in large organizations. When he got tired of being busy all day and having little to show for it, he went out on his own, and he started his own company, and he needed to learn how to actually work, as it turns out. And what he learned was how to get twice as much done in half the time. Now, that is something I want, and I bet you do too. He's still involved in innovation as he co-founded Collective Campus, a corporate innovation accelerator. His name is Steve Glaveski, and he discusses a system for getting more accomplished in less time. He has also written about the system in his recent book, Time Rich. Now, remember, if you hear something you want to go back to, we take detailed show notes for you. We also prepare a one-page action guide to help you take action now on some of the key concepts that we discuss. You'll find all those valuable resources at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 306. Now, let's talk with Steve. Steve, thank you so much for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thank you so much for having me, Chad. So we got connected up by someone who has done work with some other people that we know that are well known to the innovation community. And that alone gave me pause to make sure that we talk. And then I found out more about what we're, you know, what you've done recently, this book that you have published. And I'm interested about this. So the, the time rich is the title of the book and the subtitle is do your best work, live your best life. Who doesn't want that? The kind of the promise here is that you can get twice as much work done in the same amount of time, right? So how did you come about such a system as this? Well, as they say, Chad, necessity is the mother of invention, right? And for close to a decade, I toiled away in large consulting firms, uh, large investment banks and the like. It didn't matter what I did, I would still collect my very uh, generous six-figure paycheck, and I didn't really need to think as much about getting more done in less time. In fact, while I was in these organizations, I observed people trying to figure out how to do less in more time by scheduling lots of meetings Mm -hmm. throughout the day and still collecting the paycheck. And, And it really was in stark contrast to the culture that I've built with my company, Collective Campus. And, and to be fair, for the first couple of years, building my own organization, which now started about seven years ago, I inherited a lot of those attributes of a typical large organization. Like we would work till 6 or 7 p.m., even though most of the work was done by 2 or 3 p.m. And you kind of just sat at your desk just vegetating for a few more hours and having long lunches and going for your third or fourth coffee of the day. But after a couple of years of of that, I started to be a lot more intentional about designing an organization that people, you know, want to work for, but not only that, but one where we feel we walk away from our work at the end of the day fulfilled. And, And I found the days where I was fulfilled were the days when I actually got high value work done the days where I wasn't toiling away on 
rudimentary pieces of work, you know, shallow work, as opposed to what uh, Cal Newport calls deep work. And so I asked a question around how do I go about cultivating that? And we ran an experiment almost three years ago. It was a, a two-week, six-hour workday experiment uh, where it was all about how can we double our output or at least keep it consistent while cutting back the hours. And that acted as a, a, a forcing function. I mean, if you think about Parkinson's law, you know, we, the time it takes to complete a task expands or retracts in proportion to the time we're given to do it. And so when you give yourself and your team six hours to get their work done, well, it means that you stop wasting time on low-value tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also forces you to ask questions around all, the, all this rudimentary stuff. Perhaps it still needs to get done, but we don't need to get we don't need to be the ones to do it. So what, what can we do? And that often means, well, how can we automate it? How can we outsource it? Um, so that our day is free to focus on that high level stuff. And also how do we start being friends to ourselves rather than our own worst enemies when it comes to productivity? Because there's a lot of tools out there, but more often than not, Chad, it usually starts with ourselves and how we choose to direct our focus and attention. Yeah, really good tools is not going to help us be any more capable if we don't have that that in, in ourselves right. in the first place. We'll just automate not doing things very well. So, okay. So there was a necessity here. You did your own experiment in the organization that you had built. So there was probably a little more. We'll get into that in a moment, but this two-week, six-hour-a-day experiment to see what happened there. And as I came across your book, I was contrasting this in my mind with the four-hour work week, which many people are probably familiar with, too, from Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. The cl- very catchy title, right? But the actual claim of that oh, book yeah. was to 10x your work, right? Can you get done in four hours what a normal work, work week is? And I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole at all, but I'm curious about how you just think about the, the system that you've come up with in terms of being able to double your work, maybe in contrast to, to what we've seen in that in four-hour work week. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I did read The 4-Hour Workweek. It had a significant impact on my life when I read it way back when. Having said that, it did come out in 2007. And if you think about 2007, I think about the dawn of Facebook. I think about the dawn of smartphones. The world has changed a hell of a lot since then. The, you know, mentioned tools briefly before. Nowadays, the automation tools that you can get off the shelf for like 10 to $20 a month do exponentially more than what you could have done 10, 13 years ago. Not only that, but the four-hour work week was, from my perspective, more so about earning your freedom, making the leap from an employee to an entrepreneur. Whereas with Time Reach, what I'm doing, I'm looking at it through the lens of both the individual, whether they're working for themselves or whether they're working as part of a team. And then I'm looking at it through the lens of a leader at an organization who's looking to build, say, a quote-unquote time-rich culture or a culture where twice as much can get done in half the time so that people have more time either to invest into high-value work or to invest into living high-value lives, um, which has been shown to improve productivity because people show up in the office with heightened energy and just with greater emotional stability and well-being. So it's definitely... a departure from the four-hour work week. And it really looks at it through the lens of the not only the psychology, but also very, very actionable steps that one can take when it comes to process, technology, resources, as well as uh, human biology and how simple dopamine hits can either plague our motive, plague our productivity or um, actually promote it somewhat. Mm. So for example, 
our smartphones, I mentioned 2007, a lot has changed. We didn't have these distractions back in 2007. Nowadays, the average person spends about four hours a day looking at their smartphone, which equals about eight weeks a year, Chad, which is absolutely insane. Now, that's bad enough, but it's not that we're looking at it for four hours straight. We tend, the average person tends to pick it up every five minutes. You know, they want to have a oh, bit of a dopamine hit. Yeah. yeah, whether it's the email, whether it's the social media, whatever the case is. But that dopamine hit uh, keeps us coming back. But it means that when it comes to the flow state, so we are our best when we are in that flow state, which is a term coined by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, uh, psychologist, Hungarian psychologist in the 1970s. Now, he found that when we're in that state, we can be up to five times more productive than we're just doing shallow level work, like responding to emails. But the thing is, when you get distracted, whether it's a phone, whether it's a tap on the shoulder, whether it's yourself just switching tabs unnecessarily on your screen, it can take you up to 23 minutes to get back into the zone. So if you've got a lot of these little micro distractions scattered throughout your day, well, then you're never spending any time in flow doing your best work, which means you can spend all day at your desk. You can spend 12 to 14 hours in the office and come the end of the day, have very little to show for it and feel like crap because you know deep down that you haven't really moved the needle on, on your goals. A lot of good things in there. Basically, the, the reason for the community that we're talking, Everyday Innovators, product managers, we are always too busy, right? Product managers almost always talk about needing more time, more time with customers, more time with their teams, more time. So how we can use that better mm-hmm. is useful. And frankly, this is free consulting for me because I, I want to know how to make my time more productive. So I will be uh, hope, trying to implement what we discuss as well. Take us through, you know, kind of the highlights of the system here, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What is the kind of the first thing that would help us you know, be able to stay in flow, get more done in less time. Sure. So I think before we even get to what we should do, it's a question of what we shouldn't do as well, because so many people say that they're time poor, but I usually take that to mean decision poor. And one of the big decisions we make, which sabotages our time is to say yes to things that we should be saying no to. That's just, it's such a simple thing. And I believe it was the Roman philosopher Seneca who said, People are frugal with their money, but not with their time. But time, unlike money, cannot be earned back after you've spent it. So it's funny how human beings just say yes to all sorts of meeting invites and yes to all sorts of opportunities, oftentimes at the detriment to their own goals. I was just going to mention there's a quote that we shall get wrong with the paraphrase. One of the quotes from Steve's jobs about innovation is, you Mm -hmm. know, innovation is saying no to a thousand things. Yeah. Right. It's knowing what to say no to. Yeah, especially as you become more successful, then opportunities, the number of opportunities that find their way to your inbox also increase. So you need to get even better at saying no, right? But uh, the thing about that is I've come across so many people in, say, the startup ecosystem, in the the self-improvement ecosystem, if we should call it that, who say things like, should just say yes to everything, you know, create that space for serendipity and things will happen. But you say yes to just one thing, you're saying no to everything else, um, including your goals, right? So that's one thing that we need to be very cognizant of. The second thing I touched on briefly, which was what are those distractions? Because even a micro distraction of one tenth of a second, Chad, over the course of a day can lead to a 40% productivity loss. So what are those one tenth of a second distractions? Well, it is a notification popping up on your screen or on your phone and just glancing at it, but not even touching your phone. That still is enough to take you out of flow. If I'm 
halfway through an article and I'm just in the zone, this pops up. Even though I don't touch it, it's, it's planted in my consciousness. I might start thinking about it. And then that right. sort of high-level intense focus just fades away. And I have to start again and again. We've got that cognitive switching penalty, which can be up to 23 minutes long. The other way we waste our time, email, three hours a day, the average person spends on their email. In fact, they check it on average once every 12 minutes. And that's just more a force of habit. You know, we've got this badge of honor associated with Inbox Zero, which more often than not means that we are really efficient at responding to other people's demands on our time as opposed to prioritizing our time. So they're like just three things. And perhaps I'll throw in a fourth one, residual work. Residual work, Chad, is when we might spend a day putting together a proposal for an for a opportunity that's come our way. But then we'll spend another two days just tweaking it, tweaking the wording, the formatting. Like we've created 95% of the value in that first day. And the extra two days, we do that because it's easier to do that than to move on to the next difficult thing that's going to require uh, thinking. Because thinking and focus, it's not easy. It's much easier to sit back and just tweak fonts and whatnot in a proposal that was pretty much ready to go out the door two days ago. And that is one of the big blockers when it comes to our productivity, because here we're dealing with evolutionary bias uh, towards conserving energy, uh, which served us well on the African savannah when we were evading predators and hunting our, our prey. And it's also why when we sit down at our desks, it's much easier to check LinkedIn for the upteenth time than to get started on that difficult piece of work. But the best way around that is um, really to you know, take the smallest possible step on something. You know, if I am, and it doesn't need to be work-related, but it could be maybe you want to cultivate a habit of reading more books, but the moment you sit down on the couch in the evening at 8.30 or 9 p.m., it's much easier to reach for the remote control and, and turn on Netflix than it is to you know, keep reading that book. But commit, commit to the first page. You read that first page and it is so much easier to read the rest of the chapter. And this is just... You know, Isaac Newton's uh, laws of motion at play, you know, force uh, equals mass times acceleration. Take that smallest possible step, leverage the forces of momentum, and you will get a lot done. And that, over time, becomes automatic to you in a way whereby if you've never been to the gym or if you haven't been to the gym consistently, once you start doing that every single day, after three or four weeks, you find it becomes so much easier to keep going than it is to stop. And so when you build that habit of getting down to your desk in the morning or in the afternoon, whenever you like to start work, there is no perfect time. We all have different preferred sleeping patterns. You get comfortable with the difficult work first. And the more you do that, the easier it becomes. So that's a number of things we shouldn't do. I haven't even touched on the stuff that we should do, but conscious I've been talking for a little while. So I'll let you guide it, Chad. I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery, or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher-performing product team, meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM Experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of 5 to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just 9 weeks, 75 minutes a week, without travel. 
This is the system created by Chad based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Okay, so yeah, a lot of the good things in there that we shouldn't do. The get comfortable with the work that needs to get done first, right? What well, I think it was Ben Franklin that said, you know, eat, eat the frog. If you have a frog to eat, eat it first thing mm-hmm. in the morning, something like that, right? And I try to do that. You know, the thing that I most dread doing, I try to knock off the list first. Because then it's out of the way, first off, but I also feel a little momentum through that. Email is a mess for me. My apologies to the, if you're one of the 900 people sent me a message, a triage message, right? That's not fluff. Sitting in my inbox, I kind of gave up. You know, I, I got behind during uh, COVID mess stuff, and I just kind of gave up and said, okay, I'm going to stop be- beating myself up. I'm not catching up, and I'm just carrying on in the future. But, but I think a lot of these distractions, like the email one, there, there is this little dopamine hit of, oh, someone sent me a message. I'm important. Let's go see what someone wants me mm-hmm. to help with, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what your suggestion. I, we'll get to things we should be doing. You know whether yes. we batch that up or what we do. But these are all important. And the, the key thing that stands out for me is even minor, minor interruptions. Right, that one tenth of a second, my phone might vibrate, and I don't mm-hmm. even look at it. But it's there now. I'm thinking about. Oh, I wonder if that was that person I was expecting to get back with me. And you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's there. So good. So some things we definitely should think about not doing. How about you take us into the things we should be thinking about doing then? Sure, sure. Sounds like a plan, Chad. So I think on the individual perspective as opposed to the organizational one, simple way to think about this is through an acronym uh, I penned called PCOATS. So you just think hmm. about the winter jacket. And what PCOATS stands for is P for prioritize, which sounds simple, but not enough people do it. And uh, if you look at the universal law of nature, that is the Pareto principle or the 80-20 principle, more often than not, the top 20% of tasks or inputs create 80% of the value. And when I, I mentioned that experiment earlier, the two-week experiment, maybe I'll close the loop on that. After that experiment, we basically took the pulse of the team and found that productivity was as high, if not higher, than it was previously. And we also took the pulse of the team anonymously in terms of emotional well-being and, and how did they feel in a day-to-day basis? What were the energy levels like? One of, our, one of my colleagues recently prior to that experiment, had a, had a young, uh, young baby, young daughter, and he just loved the fact that he could spend an extra couple of hours playing daddy at home. Like it, These were really fundamental things. And so when it comes to uh, prioritization, well, we actually, sorry, we actually wrote about that experiment in Harvard Business Review. So there's an article called The Case for the Six-Hour Workday where we capture all of the, the results on that. But with the article itself, I published it on LinkedIn, and I said you know, check out this article. And someone responded saying, that sounds great, Steve, but I can never get all my tasks done in six hours, which points to this prioritization piece, the 80-20 piece, which is, yes, that would be true if all of your tasks were created equal. But if you have 10 tasks on your to-do list, chances are two or three of those tasks way more valuable than the other Mm -hmm. seven. So if you only get those top two or three tasks done, you have won the day as opposed to task eight, nine, and 10. Just being really diligent about that, prioritizing the high value work, using something like what's the value of my task out of 10 divided by what's the cost of this task in terms of time, value divided by cost, you assign it a number and then you prioritize by that. And it's kind of like animals in the wild. 
you know, a lion isn't out there hunting, you know, tigers, for example, because that's, that's a lot of cost, a lot of work. And the value probably isn't going to be as big as, say, a buffalo, which is easier to take down. And the whole, the whole pride can, can eat for days. Mm-hmm. So it's about value over the cost. So sometimes you might have a task that you don't want to do. And maybe, maybe you shouldn't do it because it's not aligned with your strengths, your innate capabilities. And that's potentially something you might want to outsource to free yourself up to do the tasks that you do actually enjoy doing that you are good at. So that was P and P codes. C is just cut, eliminate the stuff that isn't worth doing, isn't working. So on a quarterly basis with my team, we draw up a quadrant uh, and we have in each corner, start, stop, more, less. Mm. And so we just reflect on not only tasks, but you know, customer segments we're chasing, geographies we're targeting, product features we're rolling out, marketing channels, sales strategies we're employing. Let's get it out on paper. What's working? What's not? What should we try that we haven't that other people are doing? And just do that on a quarterly basis so you avoid getting stuck into the habit of just doing the same old things because you've always done them. So cut is critical. O is for outsource. Nowadays, I believe it was Ronald Coase, The Economist, penned a paper called The Theory, The Nature of the Firm, it was called, in 1937. And he found that the size of a firm, of an organization, will continue to grow so long as it costs us more to deal with external resources than internal resources. Now, that was true for much of the 20th century, if not up until 2010. But nowadays, the cost of finding, onboarding, and working with quality resources for complex work has actually come way down. And this is why you see organizations nowadays able to achieve a hell of a lot more with way less actual full-time permanent employees on their books. They're able to do so with, with contractors doing a lot of work. So outsourcing, not only rudimentary $10 an hour tasks, but also some more complex tasks where it is easier to do that with external talent who just want to have the freedom to do their own thing rather than be tied to one organization. The A in P codes stands for automation. Nowadays, whether it's customer support, sales, marketing, content creation, content distribution, there are so many things that can be automated that so many people are still spending their time doing manually. For example, you can create using tools like Zapier or If This Then uh, that content distribution uh, workflow where all you do is create, say, a Facebook live video. It will automatically get turned into a podcast episode an audiogram, a transcribed blog post, and then post it onto all the social media platforms like, and a YouTube video. Like You can do that with the tools nowadays, but so many people would just manually recreate, repurpose those, that content, post it individually on all the social media platforms. That would take forever. Not only does it take a long time, but it's also demoralizing if you find yourself just doing a lot of this low-value, process-oriented work to the point where you just give up eventually. T is for test. So this is the T in P codes. Now, why is T for test? Well, the two biggest ways people waste their time, I find, is either stuck in eternal analysis paralysis, uh, particularly the larger an organization gets, the more process-oriented it is. That happens, and we just make no decisions, and making, not making a decision is a decision in itself. And the second way is jumping to conclusions and spending our time and money and energy on things that don't really serve us. So getting into the habit of, testing assumptions on an ongoing basis, making sure that what we're doing is either worth continuing to do or determining whether or not we should stop doing it. Very, very important at the start of, an, of a venture, but also during a venture, which ties into the uh, start-stop more or less quadrant. And then finally, S for start your engine. This is going to be different for lots of people, Chad, but 
what are those things you need to do to keep your energy levels high? So for example, it could be exercise, it could be nutrition, it could just be getting up from your desk and going outside for a 15-minute walk in the sun, which has been shown to light up our brains quite significantly versus sitting at our desks and trying to just grind through that work. So oftentimes people will have lunch at their desks, but more often than not, they could actually be doing themselves a disservice. And paradoxically, if they just get up from the desk for 10 minutes, walk around, let that energy get through their bodies, they will find that when they sit down at their desks again, they can actually get a lot more done. So understanding how to start your engine, I think is key. And that requires a little bit of, say, self-awareness. And also, you know, it ties into what I was saying earlier, just Yes, you are going to not want to do that difficult piece of work first thing in the morning, but just take the smallest step and you'll find that taking the second, third, fourth step becomes you know, exponentially easier as you go. So that's PCOTS. So we got PCOTS uh, prioritization system, right? To know what's important, cut the waste, uh, eliminate that, outsource what we can, automate. I might have to get your recipe for that content distribution because that would sure. that could be helpful for me. <laughs> the Right now I have a more of an automation approach to that. And so I mean more of an outsourcing approach to that. Testing and then start your engine. You reminded me about something I, I have stopped doing about start your engine. My medical doctor actually said that after I eat lunch, I should go out for a 20-minute walk. And mm-hmm. that's the best time of the day for me to do that. And when I was doing that, that was a good reset. First, I think it can it actually helped me make better use of my time in the morning because I knew I had this thing scheduled, you know, and it was like time out of my day uh, mm-hmm. that I was making for. So I actually think that helped me make better use in the morning, and then I felt more refreshed when I came back from that walk. Right? Yeah, definitely. And it's actually you know it's not woo to to say that if you move you you, you cultivate more energy in the body, but mm-hmm. ultimately your brain releases a BDNF, brain-derived neutrophic factor, when we move um, because it senses, and this again goes back to evolutionary programming whereby it senses it as a moment of stress and maybe we're chasing a predator or actually trying to run away from a predator or Mm -hmm. hunting our prey and therefore we need that hit of energy to operate at that higher level. So when we move, when we go for a run, when we just go for a 10-minute walk in a park, our brain does release this BDNF, which just helps us focus and and just makes us more energetic. And that's also why if we're just sitting at our desks for three hours on end, not getting up for even five minutes, we can feel really sluggish. We just enter that deep vegetative state like we might when we're watching a three-hour Martin Scorsese film on Netflix. And that's just a really difficult place to do any meaningful work from. So, so my encouragement to everyday innovators will be to uh, prioritize in their time spending 30% of their time with customers. And I, th- I think if you prioritize that time, not only will you be much more effective as a product manager and effective for your organization, you'll also have to fit rest of your tasks into that other 70% of your time. So it'll be interesting how that works out. I- I'm just curious, do you happen to be a fan of the movie Office Space? Do, I've do you, not do seen you know it. this one? No. Okay, so no. I... Forgot when this came out. It was a bit bit of a sleeper. It did quite well later, but you, you have to look it up because I think you would quite enjoy it based on many of the things you just described. So okay. it, it's a movie about, uh, you know, it's a fictional story, of course, but about uh, what happens in this IT organization and how miserable life is and how little actually gets done. Yeah, well, it'd be like the, <laughs> the Office, I suppose, the classic TV series. Yes, yes, the paper company. Okay. Just what, what kind of stands out from what you've gone through and as you have, have been teaching this practice to others, to your organization, you know, mm. where do you find people struggling 
trying to just make a change, right? If if anyone's just has heard this and going, okay, I know the prioritization, but I'm not really doing it yet, or yeah, I know there's some, I need to stop the interruptions, right? What are, what's the thing that you find people stumble over the most trying to make this change? Look, in, in some instances, it could be that they struggle to push back. Maybe they're not you know, entrepreneurs. Maybe they're working in an organization and they get yep. invited to a lot of meetings and they feel an obligation to attend these meetings. And more often than not, it just starts with having that conversation with people and saying, hey, look, I am, I've got all this stuff on my to-do list. I've got a pretty backed up workload. Can you please explain to me why I need to be there? Is, is there any piece of information I could just email you that you need from me? Because I really have some other important work. And more often than not, people just don't have those conversations because they think that if they do that, that's a sign of them just you know, being, you know, not falling in line. And yeah, it's going to cost being the them team long term. Exactly. Yeah. So I think they firstly need to just become more, you, you have to realize that we are complicit when we make choices. And we are just feeding a particular culture if we just say yes to every meeting invite that comes our way. An example I can think of is Dominic Price. He's head evangelist over at Atlassian. And he's got this concept called sticks and boomerangs. And he found that he was getting a hell of a lot of meeting invites. He was receiving a hell of a lot of meeting invites. And Mm. after a while, he just started rejecting them. And he found that of the rejections, two-thirds would not come back. One-third would. So one-third would be boomerangs, but the two-thirds were sticks. And just by doing that, he found that he freed up about 15 hours a week that he could then reinvest into higher-value work rather than just being you know, the seventh person sitting around a table, which really is way too many people for a meeting to be uh, productive, especially if we're making what oftentimes amount to low-level uh, decisions. And, and I would say that if you're uncomfortable making those choices. Look, I can't, I'm not privy to the listener's financial situation, how much you need that job. But ultimately, as people, we want to be doing meaningful work. And if we're working in an organization that has a toxic culture, which is all built around real-time communication, you know, hyper-responsiveness, 100% availability, attending every meeting and having no time for meaningful, fulfilling work, then maybe that's not the kind of organization you want to work for. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a, a different, much bigger decision you might need to make as well. Where you can, you want to try and influence decision makers. You want to try and roll out different ways of working in smaller teams, maybe project teams, see how it would work in that team in the context of that organization, what processes, policies, systems get in the way, how might we redesign work around that, and then move from there. So that's in an organizational context, but Really, the biggest thing with any advice, whether it's productivity, whether it's relationships, you've really got to want it. I think there, are, there is a certain, you know, we mentioned dopamine hits. There's a dopamine hit that comes with just reading a self-help book and not actually putting into practice one iota of advice from that book, Chad. So if people really want this, the guidance I have in the book is very, very actionable and it's something that they can't, can start to implement today, but you, you've really got to just take some personal accountability to, to get going as well. Yeah, I, I think the sticks and boomerangs is a great place to start, right? And see what you really need to be involved in. Definitely. I was thinking as you shared that, I was facilitating an experience with the group. I, I do this uh, thing called the rapid product mastery experience with groups of product managers to help mm-hmm. them perform higher. 
And in this one organization, they were spanning large time zones, right? And so it was very typical for their product managers to nightly be in a meeting you know, with someone either in, most of these were were in Europe back to the U.S. or vice versa, you know, and th- they were starting to have meetings, you know, every night. And in one of these meetings, the product manager, one of the product managers shared, said, you know, I'm not going to do more than three a week, three, three nights a week. And it, it just... It, Everyone stopped and like, you can do that? How, how, how can you do that? Right? Because obviously everyone was doing more than that. And this person has just made the commitment that, no, that, that's all I'm going to do. It's like, yeah. wow, how, how, yeah. could, how could we make that happen? <laughs> well, well I mean, speaking of movies, Chad, I assume you've seen the, the classic Police Academy. Police Academy 1. <laughs> yes. It's kind of like that scene where the, the guys go to the barbershop and they're like, take it all off. And they get there, you know, they're basically skinheads, essentially. And then the next guy sits down and says, eh, just take a bit off the sides. Like, oh, you can do that? You, you can do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly like yes. your example. Yes, just uh, ask and try. Okay, excellent. Thank, thank you for sharing that. We need to make better use of our time because we are always short on time. And we can use it more productively. And for product managers, I really want you to use your time more wisely so you can spend more time with customers. That's the thing that will energize your career more than anything is knowing your customers better. So try to free up time for that and uh, think about that as a priority, what you can do differently to make that happen. As listeners know, I love an innovation quote. I love how they're often inspiring. What did you choose for us and what does it mean to you? So I chose former U.S. President Calvin Coolidge's quote, that nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not, education will not, genius will not. You know, the world is full of talented, unsuccessful men and women. Now, that to me is something that speaks to the core of what I do and what I've observed because you might have innate ability, you might have innate talent, but if you're not comfortable with inevitable difficulty, inevitable failure on the path to some, some higher goal, then you will give up no matter how talented you are. And you might have someone as well who perhaps isn't as innately gifted and talented, but the thing they don't do is give up. They, they, they're very intentional. They're very present. They're observing what's working, what's not, and they're iterating as they go. Now, there is still no guarantee that that person will be successful, but by staying the course, you do create space for luck. And, and luck is really just, you know, what do they say? The intersection of opportunity and, and, and preparedness. Yes. And I find that if you persist on a path, providing you don't just keep doing the same thing every day, expecting different results, you will be more successful than someone who is maybe 10 times more innately gifted than you, but doesn't like the way failure makes them feel because it hurts their ego. So don't ever self-censor yourself. Don't ever think, oh, I could never do that. I'm not good enough. Just get started. Keep going. Learn from your mistakes. And that is, look, I'll say it's a recipe for success, but there are never any guarantees because we always need to be conscious of the uh, survivorship bias that comes with any business book that's out there. Thank you for sharing the quote. I, I do like the focus there, right? That persist, the focus, uh, I didn't mean to use that word, but the you know persistence, staying the path, staying focused makes a difference. So as startup founders often know, it's doing the, you know, the few things really well, not the thousand things. 
Excellent. As listeners also know, I like to do share resources with them, and we've been talking about your work time, Rich. How can uh, people get their hands on that and other other materials to find out more about the work that you're doing, that sort of thing? Sure. So they can head over to timerichbook.com. Uh, they can pick up a copy of the book there. They can also download the first chapter of the book for free, and they can download a 40, I believe it's a 40-page PDF I prepared on all sorts of automation Hmm. Uh, and time-rich tools that they can use across the entire value chain in their own work or, or in their business as well. Great. I will. Need, I need that automation, especially the one for leveraging yes. content. <laughs> Good. Steve, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you sharing your insights and experience with the Everyday Innovators. Thank you so much, Chad. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where product managers and leaders become product masters through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. If you're finding value in this podcast, the best gift that you can give us is to share it with others. Please tell your colleagues, tell other product managers that this podcast exists. It's a great resource for them. All of the great insights with Steve those detailed notes that we took about this discussion and the one-page action guide to help you put into action what we talked about is all at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 306. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.